1: Hello and welcome back. I am here with my good friend, Tracy. I'm here with my delightful friend, Amber. And this is the road to Tarvalen today. Getting back into some book chapters with the fires of heaven, starting back at chapter 12. And it has been a while since we've been here. It's been a minute, like it felt
0: good, but it also felt kind of slow. Like, especially after the show. Like after watching the show, I was like, wow, this is kinda like drag it along.
1: <laughs> well, let's let's start at chapter 12. Let's just get into it. I if love you're that You're okay idea. with that. I am so okay with that. Let's do it.
0: Alright, so chapter 12 is an old pipe. Gareth Bryan and his gang of senior soldiers are still hot on the trail of Mara. Slash Swan and those other oath breakers that cut and split. They get their info and Lugard and then get out while Gareth does a little soul healing in the form of sharing a humiliating story.
1: Ta-da. What a dramatic and insightful and <laughs> gripping chapter this was. Uh, <laughs> um mm-hmm. sometimes I mean I know okay. Harriet, friend mhm
2: mm-hmm.
1: i wonder if they i wonder if she was ever compelled just to like kick him off of a keyboard
2: <laughs> i mean
1: i get it <laughs> i'm i'm trying to be funny here maybe i'm not being funny but i this, think you're being funny this chapter is fine this chapter yeah. is fine but i take umbrage with some of the later chapters mhm this is mainly just a short snippet into Gareth Brynn's head as he's thinking about these young women. Mm -hmm. And being someone who has read the books, it makes sense that this chapter is included for what it's foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. But. But. The story would probably be exactly the same without it. <laughs> like, there's, not, it there's not a lot here besides just kind of getting into Gareth Brynn's mind a little bit. Yeah. Which, you know, that's enjoyable. He's a, he's a nice little character that he sticks around. He's not, you know, someone that just shows up and then he's gone, so it's nice to know mm-hmm. how he thinks and mm-hmm. what he thinks. Mm-hmm. But we did kind of get a POV from him. I want to say in the very beginning of the book, if memory serves mm. correct, it might have even have been the prologue. It is. Mm-hmm. You're right. Robert Jordan does this so often where he's like, hey, like, remember these things? Remember mm-hmm, these people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's,
2: mm-hmm.
1: It, it is a nice thing to do when the books are large, Mm-hmm. But, like, when you're zooming through the books, you're like, oh, okay, this again? All right. Okay. Okay. That's yes.
0: Well. <laughs> it feels like a lot of repeat information with little sprinklings of things that, if you're like me and the chapter isn't really catching you and you skim over it, you miss them. And so, while it's good that that information is there, like, sometimes I feel like that's one of the things that held me back when reading the series because I would just be like, okay, whatever, blah, 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 and bounce through it and then be like, oh, weird, where did that thing come from? So I feel if this was shorter, if it was more condensed and maybe dropped in other places that, like, I'm reading it, like, really intently, I wouldn't have had the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there's there's really, really nothing about this chapter outside of the fact that, He confirms that Swan and Min and Leanne and uh, Loghain have all been through here, and now they've picked a direction to go in, and they're moving in that direction. I do think, like, one of the things that I like about the chapter (laughs) is how he's going through that painful process of what happened between him and Morgase. It feels really relatable, and that kind of, like, internal work is hard. And so like him taking those steps towards healing himself and seeing it internally I thought was a nice little thing to add in.
1: One of the things that I did appreciate is Gareth Bren going back to his time in Andor as Mm -hmm. a dutiful soldier of the Queen Morgays. And he's talking about interactions that he's had with various women more gays elida and swan sanche Mm -hmm. and it's a nice little i you know it's kind of like a little like oh like teehee like look what i've done like i get Mm -hmm. i get what robert jordan was doing there and it's nice like it's a nice little touch but again like this is just kind of one of those chapters where it's like eh, all right like let's Let's move on and see what's happening next. (laughs) (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Should we do that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go
0: for it. Cool. Chapter 13 is a small room in Sienda. Zainiv is in a mood. She does not enjoy playing Lady's Maid, regardless of how sensible it seemed when she agreed to take on the role. Elaine attempts to smooth things over, but their progress is stopped when an unusual creature frightens the horses and forces them to stop. Bell Luca's traveling show is indeed a marvel, but doesn't keep their focus for long, and they arrive in Sienda shortly before nightfall. A room is arranged, and the two women are soon ready for the meeting that awaits them.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I... <laughs> I don't know why this, like, I got a kick out of this, but just the name that Elaine calls Nynaeve Nana, like her her undercover name as they're traveling. Mm-hmm. Like, Nana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but for some reason it fits because it, like, it gives the mental image of just like this very crotchety elder, elderly woman.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Which,
1: 90, you know, she's, she's very temperamental. Mm-hmm. But in this, in this case, she's just a very... She's not happy with the situation and it shows and everything that she says and how she says it. Mm-hmm. And once again, we have Elaine doing her best to remain. Mm. I'm not sure what the right word is here, but just mm-hmm. kind of like even keeled. Like she's not, she's avoiding a big blow up yeah. and she's doing a pretty good job at it.
0: Yeah. Diplomatic. Mm, Yeah, like the way that she's like attempting to still move their plan forward without pointing out that Nynaeve's behavior is a bit ridiculous. That's how I see it
1: anyway. Yeah. Okay. Out of all of the things that have happened in these chapters that we're reading, Mm -hmm. I'm actually the most excited Considering Mm -hmm. all of the plot lines that we have had today with the circus plot, I know it is not beloved. I know it's not a storyline that a lot of people just adore. Yeah. But there is something about it that I can so vividly picture, Mm -hmm. whereas some other chapters and things, like, I can't. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, like, the theatrics and just, like, the comical nature of Val and Luca. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I dig it, personally. That silk
0: red red cloak that he wears, despite Mm -hmm. how hot it is. He's a showman, and it comes out in everything he does. I like the traveling thing. I always enjoy the moments that happen because of its existence. I don't want to get too far into, like, talking about how it's involved later. But I like it, too.
1: Yeah, and we've got this moment where the horses are startled by this, <laughs> what like, boar, what, what boar does he call horses, it? A, 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 yeah, yeah. boar
0: horse that he captured in Shara. Right. Sure you right. did. Sure mm-hmm. you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally believable.
1: <laughs> but it's just funny, like, I appreciate these kind of like meet cute moments Mm -hmm. where this man like approaches a woman who just naive does not want anything to do with this man Mm -mm. she would not care if he falls into a pit like Mm -hmm. she does not have she is not interested at all yeah but the more like aggressive she is towards him and the Mm -hmm. more she like treats him badly he's just like oh what a woman (laughs) (laughs) and so true As a trope, I don't mind it. Like, I think that it is funny. I think it's cute. It has this kind of playfulness that the Wheel of Time series is known for with, Mm -hmm. you know, like, there's little, like, side jokes and inside jokes about all the guys think the other guy is the best at talking to ladies. Right. Stuff like that that it does, yeah, feel kind of dated. But in this case, I Mm -hmm. still think that it's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. and i don't know like i don't necessarily love the romance in the Mm -hmm. wheel of time and this Mm -hmm. isn't romance Mm -hmm. but it is a situation where you've got two people that you know could potentially be a couple and it's it's just funny i think Mm -hmm. i don't know
0: i do love that moment when he approaches the coach and is like like, something like, bestill my heart when he, like, sees a beautiful woman in the coach and how it's supposed to be kind of, like, an aside, but it's also meant to be heard. I don't know. I
1: uh-huh. actually kind of
0: enjoy how that's written. I, I roll a little at it each time, too, but at the same time, I enjoy that it's included.
1: It's no more, like, cringy than some other things that happen. Um, it's
0: way less cringy than some of the other things yeah, that like-
1: happen. <laughs> But to me, like, it's not, it's actually, like, funny. Like, I enjoy it. I think it's humorous. I yeah. think Val Luca is such a fun character because as we get further and further into the books and as the TV show gets further further into itself, I think Val Luca would just be such a fun character. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is, you know, like, they don't have time to bring in every little person you have someone like a Bale Doman who's a fan favorite, right? So many mm-hmm. people love Bale. Mm-hmm. He has a really like strong sense about him. He's a really recognizable character. He has mm-hmm. his own lingo. Luca is like that, but he also has this just like, <laughs> like bonkers energy. Mm-hmm. Like he is just what a <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's such a goofy person. Where you I think if you brought the right actor yep. in to do something like that, I think mm-hmm. it could really be a show stealer, mm-hmm. even if it's just a cameo.
0: Ooh, yeah. Is there an actor that
1: comes to mind when you think of Val and Luca? So a long time ago, there was a fan casting online on Instagram. And I remember a few of the people that were in the voting stage for it one was Ryan Reynolds. I think he won, actually. Hmm. Another one was Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> ah. which. <laughs> but I mean, frankly, anyone ah. who has just kind of that comic ability, like really good timing, someone who can say like some kind of weird lines and just have a goofy yeah. personality, but not make it so over the top that it's silly. Yeah, Hi, Lord Tataris is Jim Carrey. Yeah, like, I yeah. don't, don't want to go full Jim Carrey, but I want someone who's, like, attractive enough to where, like, you would understand why this guy thinks that he's got a shot and he's going to shoot his shot
0: yeah. with Nana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I do feel as though the direction the show is taking has, like, a definite darkness to it but i also think that it has room for a storyline that includes val and luca it might even be nice to kind of break it up from just always being like a little heavy there are moments with that show that are just like yeah i'd want to see that
1: yeah he's he's a lot of fun i mean of course, some of the circus chapters, they go on for a while. It's not all, like, super exciting, high-tension stuff. Yeah. But it does lend a nice little, like, ha-ha moment. Yeah. We can all use that. Yeah, it just feels cute and nice. hmm And I like, too, in this scenario with... We've got Cranky Nynaeve, we've got Elaine doing her best, and then we've got Tom and Julian just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Right. <laughs> and then yeah. we've got Val and Luca doing his best showmanship for this, mm-hmm. you know, traveling posse of weirdos. <laughs> right. Just, like, I can so easily picture it. I can mm-hmm. see so clearly, like, what it looks like, and I, mm-hmm. I don't often have that with Mm. the wheel of time or Mm -hmm. books in general i think Mm -hmm. it's just super colorful and light and you know the animals and you know the people i can see it all it sparkles like that's
0: the other thing that i think of is like the costumes like the costumes that get
1: described (laughs) literally they sparkle
0: they do and i love it i love it i love the sparkle it's fun I love the dogs. I love the tumblers.
1: Yeah, I think it would be really fun to see, even if it's just a one episode thing.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, getting animals is going to be a little bit difficult, but mm. you know, like the, I would settle for like dogs, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's they okay. don't—they don't need to CGI some yeah. mythological. Creatures for me. No. We can have some dancing dogs. It's cool. A it's couple fine. whippets and tutus. Like it's it's all right. I'm good with that. Doing a little like congo line. Da, da 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 da
0: Yeah. Tutus. I love this.
1: Right. I love
0: this. I love and then this. to like sparkly tutus. And, and
1: sparkly then to tutus. make things even better, the way that this chapter goes on is Val and Luca is like, oh, like, we're destitute, you know? Like, mm-hmm. could the lady spare anything mm-hmm. for, like, these poor, weary circus travelers? Like, oh, please. Oh, no. And Nynaeve, like, gives him a silver penny. Right? Elaine is mortified. Totally. <laughs> but then... <laughs> but then... Uh, I believe Nynaeve says something like, what did she say about Valen Luca? Like he doesn't, Mm. he's got strong shoulders, like a little bit of hard work work would would be fine for him. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And I like how just kind of aghast Elaine is, because she really is this gentle soul, but it really highlights the point that Elaine is totally comfortable giving out money because Mm -hmm. of the environment that she was raised in. She's Mm -hmm. a princess, she's never had Mm-hmm. to want for anything so her like doling out money is like just yeah. she's like of course we would do this like yes. why wouldn't we do this yeah
0: we've got funds
1: right now right but my yeah. on the other hand i don't know if she's being a penny pincher because she's thinking ahead or if she's just kind of being antagonistic because elaine wants to do one thing so she's like i'm not gonna do that thing or okay if she's really like thinking about the future like well we don't know where we're going to be a year down the road (laughs) like maybe it's not a good idea to give out our money yeah to this band of circus performers right right it's just kind of interesting how despite what it looks like at face value, where it's like Nynaeve just kind of being a jerk. Mm
2: -hmm. I think
1: it does highlight these two different women. Mm -hmm. And despite both of them being very driven, they do have extremely different backgrounds. Even Mm -hmm. if in Mm -hmm. their respective climate or nature, they are both in a higher position, like Nynaeve as a wisdom versus Elaine, who is a princess. Mm -hmm. They're both afforded a certain level Mm -hmm. that just, you know, your everyday person wouldn't be. That's a good point but it's just I don't know it's cool it's a nice little touch Mm -hmm. it's silly it's funny I like it
0: I was wondering if another reason might be like a two rivers attitude of
1: you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps
0: yes yes exactly that exactly that like like that comment about his shoulders and like He could work. He looks like a strong, healthy person. He can figure it out. Like, part of me is like, is that part of that two rivers mentality popping up? I was just actually thinking about, you know, like the time management needed for the television show. And I'm wondering how much of these interactions that Nynaeve and Elaine have are going to be like, minimized. I really enjoy the way that they're portrayed in the TV show, and we've talked about that moment where they hold hands, and, like, I feel like we're already getting a taste of their relationship moving at a faster pace to where they get to be, like, on the same page and not quite as much bickering. But I can absolutely see where... This is also going, like, this This interaction with the Penny and Elaine being like, oh my God, what have you done? I can see those things continuing because it it is how their background affects how they look at the world around them.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I think, too, with this scenario, I think Nynaeve is calling it for what she thinks it is, and that's Mm. just quasi-duplicitous. Mm-hmm. The way that Valen Luca is presenting the yes. situation yeah. as she sees it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Naive, despite being from the Two Rivers, mm-hmm. I do think that sometimes she does have a little bit of street smarts, even oh, yeah. though like sometimes she really doesn't and comes off as like very naive in their mm-hmm. travels. Mm-hmm. I think this is a situation where she was like, get real. <laughs> like, come <laughs> on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your back's not broke. Yeah. But Elaine, on the other hand, is like anything. (laughs) Right. She she really has this bleeding heart, like soft spot for people in need. So She does. It's really sweet how Mm -hmm. both of them come at it from two separately, different angles.
0: Absolutely. I think I love how that gives us more of their character and who they are. So once they get past Val and Luca, then they get to the... They get to Sienda. I don't know if that's how it's said, but that's how I say it. I'm mostly just thinking about, like, how nerve-wracking this travel experience has to be for Nynaeve and Elaine, especially as they're traveling through a place that is just, like, white cloaks everywhere. And when they get to Sienda, that's what, like, the, the common room is just, like, filled with a bunch of white cloaks. And here they are, two women who can channel. And, like,
1: yikes. Yikes. Yeah. But that's all I have on this chapter, if you're also finished. I do not have anything more.
0: All right. So chapter 14 is Meetings. It's Nynaeve's turn with the stone ring, and before she has her encounters with anyone, she has some interesting wardrobe choices to flip through while mostly thinking of land. There's not one but two meetings happening in Teleron Rio tonight, and both end with warnings for her to be careful. Dangers abound in the world of dreams, and she must be more worried for her own safety.
1: Yeah, we're going back to that imminent threat of Mo Gideon and the back mm. and forth between Nynaeve and Mo hmm And we have another interaction with Brigida.
2: hmm.
1: Mhm And I love how Nynaeve is like, "Oh, is Guide all about?" <laughs> hmm And Brigida is like, "No, I haven't seen him. I think he's been spun back out." Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sad. We know mm-hmm. where the story goes, but mm-hmm. in this instance, I think it says a lot about Brigida to be like, "Nope, he's out." He'll be, he'll be back later, I guess. <laughs> we <laughs> shall find each other again. There's such confidence there. hmm Yeah. But Brigida gives Nynaeve some more warnings. And we learn that, you know, Landfear is often cruising about in Teleron Ryoed. hmm And I think she says that she has seen Ravine. hmm Samael. hmm And Grendel. D-Man, and uh-huh. Semirag.
0: Yeah, pretty much everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. And I like how at this moment, we get, we get this kind of like fear at the mention of Rog. Right. Which, frankly, yes. Like, she is the most terrifying, I would mm-hmm. say, on the list. hmm And then, of course, getting these names all dropped, I'm like, oh my gosh. So the TV show made me like Lanfear, Right. Made me become much more interested, much more interested in a Shamayal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do they have in plan for all these other Forsaken? <laughs> it's probably going to be
0: fun. Yes. And we got just a little taste of a Forsaken that's been released. That, like, just a few minutes and I'm already like, wow, where are we going? I think we talked about this before. I definitely did not expect, like, the Forsaken this much. But in the books, it's it's a little different. Yeah. They're still scary. Like, at least Semirag is still scary. That's nice. Like, if Brigida is scared of Semirag, like, and we did that whole episode about her, and yikes. Another yikes. Mm-hmm. Nynaeve asks Brigida to release her from the promise that she's made, like not to tell Nynaeve about their encounters with each other, and Brigida is like... You, you can- mean a Gwyn? Yes, thank you. That she can't, she can't tell her about this at all.
1: I feel like this is a weird plot hole within the books. It's like, no, Ooh. you're not allowed to talk about what happens in Teleronreo. Heroes of the horn can't say anything. Like, why? <laughs> why not? Yeah. She's already broken the rules, so that implies like what is there? Like dog the bounty hunter up in Teleronrio that's gonna come right? like slap the cuffs on her and be like, haul her <laughs> out, boys. <laughs> I don't think that's happening.
0: <laughs> but That's a good point. Like, what's the enforcement of that? And who does it?
1: Right, right. Yeah. Maybe the enforcement is her separation with Geidel. But that's Ooh. silly because you can't... So that would only work for her. So that, does that mean, like, any reprimand goes? <laughs> like, mm. not every hero of the horn has someone that they can be ripped away from. Is it like, hey, like you broke a rule. Next time someone blows the horn, you don't get to go down and play. You have You're to stay in timeout. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, considering how often the horn gets used, it just doesn't feel like a huge punishment. But I mean, yeah. what else do you do?
1: Yeah, but it also implies that Nynaeve is willing to keep a secret. If asked. That's true.
0: And she holds to it. Mm -hmm. Like she still manages to get the information that she feels is important across to Egwene. And she does it without revealing how she has it.
1: Mm -hmm. Which comes into play later on in the last chapter because secret secrets.
0: So after meeting with Brigida, she has the encounter or meeting with Egwene and Malayne.
1: Yeah. She's got a bee in her bonnet about some of the things that <laughs> Melaine has said about Lan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And then that one, like, that's the one that ends up with Mulane like, changing Nynaeve's whole outfit into a little girl,
1: Aiel ensemble doll included <sighs> yeah it's really interesting in this whole segment because you learn about a lot about Nynaeve and Nynaeve is a lot of things but mm-hmm. she's she can also be like look I love this character she's probably my favorite in the books mm-hmm. but her delusions sometime are so funny because She's going on and on about, you know, this and that and the other. And then she brings up the fact that there was this whole incident in the tea shop and her and Elaine getting dosed with Fork Group. But she leaves that out and she's like, what a bunch of idiots trying to poison wisdom. Like, yeah, of course, I know what it tastes like. Mm -hmm. She's really trying to save face in the scheme of things. Not you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, mm-hmm. this information she doesn't have to share, mm-hmm. but it just kind of, like, bubbles out of her. Mm-hmm. I believe Malaine says something like, oh, like, lots of secrets happening, lots of schemes. Yes, the yes. The great serpent is the a secret- good sign yes. for you, Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And then says, someday you may swallow yourself by accident. hmm In this instance... It's really funny because Nynaeve is really walking two lines here. Hmm. She's becoming less and less of a wisdom and more and more of an Aes Sedai, even though she hasn't been raised to the shawl. Mm -hmm. They're still passing themselves off as Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that Malayne kind of recognizes her as an Aes Sedai Based on the lies that Nynaeve is saying, mm-hmm. which is interesting because you don't really know if Malayna is saying schemes and schemes about Black Aja mm. and like the Aes Sedai's involvement with what's happening, mm-hmm. or if she's just recognizing that Nynaeve is withholding something in this story. Mm. Like an Aes Sedai would do.
0: Well, and there's already like that built in wariness of Aes Sedai that Ayel have. It just feels heightened the more that she's spending time with. Aes Sedai kind of in quotation marks because Maureen is Aes Sedai but Gwen and Nynaeve and Elaine are all passing themselves off as Aes Sedai and I think Malaine is definitely smart enough to pick up on the fact that like Nynaeve is withholding I think it's all, all of those things pulled together yeah and really just like the little that's known about Aes Sedai from like an external perspective it's like They're so closed off. They're so mysterious. And when they do show up, it's generally to like push or pull something in one way or another. So this idea of not really being able to trust an Aes Sedai, it it feels so universal. And I I highlighted the whole, like, the the serpent eating its own tail is a good symbol for you. And, I, I mean, I agree. The White Tower is... A messy messy place and it's just gotten worse and like that's I mean that's one of the things that happens in the next chapter is like finding out how much worse it's become
1: yeah I, I think it's actually a pretty genius little moment within the writing because mm. like I said Nynaeve is she's walking two lines here she's becoming the mm. thing that she detests the most which mm. is being seen as an Aes Sedai yeah. And this is coming off of how I interpreted this moment of her kind of flubbing the truth. Mm. But also, you know, a couple sentences later, we learn about Moraine obeying Rand now. And Nynaeve is pretty indignant at the thought of Moraine kind of groveling to Rand. Mm hmm. Yes. And she's like, what do I, you know, she, later, she's like, what do I care? Like, I don't even like Moraine. Yeah. But, like, she is, like, perturbed over this mm-hmm. incident mm-hmm. and hearing how Moraine has kind of just become, I don't want to say subservient to Ran, but has, like, mm-hmm. taken a step back and is kind of, like. All right, he's in charge now. He's the dragon reborn, and he was like, "No, he's a stubborn little woolhead <laughs> shepherd from the Two Rivers, and he mm-hmm. better not forget that." Mm-hmm. Which, true, you know, true. No matter mm-hmm. how high someone someone rises, mm-hmm. it's still important that they remember where they're from and not become a tyrant or. Mm-hmm lose track of some of the smaller things that matter, so. Yeah,
0: definitely. I don't think I have anything else on chapter 14.
1: No, we can move ahead. Cool. And we continue to my least favorite chapter within (laughs) the entire Wheel of Time series. Hooray!
0: Ah! Chapter 15, What Can Be Learned in Dreams. (laughs) Well, this is an interesting chapter. Nynaeve and Egwene dream themselves into the tower and confront the horrific knowledge that Elida is somehow Amaralyn's seat. This isn't the only unsettling realization in the chapter, and we end with Nynaeve feeling like things are off balance between her and Egwene. POV switches to Egwene in the I.L. camp. It's late and freezing, but she has news she must share before she can sleep. Yeah. Do you want to take it away from here?
1: Well, first thing, I do just really appreciate this kind of spookiness, I guess, of coming back to the White Tower and sneaking into the Amerlinn study Mm -hmm. and recognizing that things are all wrong.
0: I think it's an example, like when you were talking about like remembering your roots, I was thinking about how Swan always kept the Amerlinn study like really simple like to remember where she was from and of course Elida is totally the opposite like she wants to forget her background and like kind of where she's from so of course the, the Amarillyn's study has changed and neither Gwen or Nynaeve can dream themselves into a room that doesn't look how they like picture it in their heads Mm-hmm. I just like that connection to what you were talking about, remembering where you're from.
1: One of the things that stood out to me also is the artwork that Elida has displayed, mm. which I believe comes from, we have Rand's portrait, his mm-hmm. whole sky bite in the sky. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we have imagery of Bonwen, Mm -hmm. The Amarlin who was stilled and kept as a Mm -hmm. kitchen scullion Mm
2: -hmm. due
1: to her mishandling things during the Second War of the Dragon and Arthur Hawkwing's era. The next war that came after that that follows it. I forgot what it was called. Doesn't matter. I love how narcissistic Elida is in bringing out these two pieces of artwork. One is a tapestry, one is, you know, Rand's sketch or drawing, mm-hmm. his mugshot. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. it says so much about what Elida, how, how she wants to be seen. Yes. She brings this portrait of Rand. You don't know if it's, like I said, kind of like a wanted sign. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Or something that she's just trying to use as propaganda, where it's like, this is what we're up against. This is our mission. Like, be afraid. Be scared of this man who's coming to destroy everything. Mm-hmm. We have one role, and that's to capture him and make him, you know, serve us. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, so we've got the Rand Propaganda, or however you however you want to see it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then we have the Bonwin, or Bonwin. I'm not a stickler for pronunciation.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Artwork, which on the other hand is just delusional Mm. that she would hang that up there because you could take it as two different meanings. Mm -hmm. One, it's kind of like remember what the blue Aja. Has done to us. Mm-hmm. Remember this feud that mm-hmm. started thousands and thousands of years ago, but was reignited yes. with the stilling and deposition of this Omerlin of the Red Aja, who was followed by a blue Omerlin. Mm-hmm. Like she's bringing in all of these just wild concepts and like. Mm-hmm putting them on the wall for everyone to see in a way that is... There's so much, like, odd bravado there that she Mm. just believes that everyone's like, yep, that's the Amaralyn, do what you gotta do, and nobody's thinking about this. Mm
2: -hmm. I know the
1: readers are supposed to think about this. Otherwise, Robert Jordan wouldn't have included it. Right. But I love how these two items, and we've talked about how she's redecorated the Amaralyn study. Mm-hmm. But just these two items in general mm-hmm. say so much about who Elida is mm-hmm. and how much forethought or mm-hmm. lack of that mm-hmm. she has. Mm-hmm. Because it really feels like she sees herself as this like wartime Amaralyn, right? Like, get the mm-hmm. troops ready. We've got... Things to do. I mean, the last battle
0: is on the
1: way. Right. The dragon reborn, he's here. Mm -hmm. We've got to take advantage of this and do things that are necessary. But at the same time, the way that she's doing it is very curious. Mm -hmm. Specifically when she became Amarlin in a very nefarious way. Right. Sure, the entirety of the Blue Aja had left the tower. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: the deposition that had happened to Swan Sanche technically like if you had a good lawyer you could (laughs) technically say you know it was a thing that we had to deal with quickly. We couldn't wait to summon everyone back to the tower. Yeah. But on the other hand you could say like no 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 like Even if that were the case, you imprison someone and then you wait till everyone comes back so you can vote on it. Because the rules about deposition are kind of vague. It has to be a majority. But from what I gather, there's no clause saying, well, if... 60 people had left the tower, and you're short that many people to vote. Like, it doesn't really give you what to do in that situation, yeah. So, like, it's kind of a technicality that she's actually the Amberlyn,
0: yes. But That's the a good fact point.
1: that, but the fact that all this is happening and her putting this stuff on the wall feels like an even bigger neon sign to say like uh uh-oh like danger danger like (laughs) things are really wrong here things Mm -hmm. are really really bad you should be mistrustful of this woman Mm -hmm. and of course the reader themselves knows that because we've been following along with the things that she's done and said but for the characters for just Mm -hmm. Nynaeve and Egwene talking about this and seeing this it could be, like, a bigger red flag for them, but really, like, the main thing that they have to go on is, like, they know that Elida is awful, and that's, like, the yeah. big fearful moment for them. Like, they're seeing things more at a face value, mm-hmm. but I love how, like, all of these little things, all of these tiny little Mm -hmm. segments into the world of what Elida is and how she is and how she responds to things, Mm -hmm. how she wants to be seen as strong and powerful. Mm -hmm. Just like, it it lays so much out for you and I think it's one of the things that makes her just such a compelling and interesting character, Yeah, but someone who's so, she's so hateable that it's so fun. Mm
0: Well, and I mean, there's even that glimpse of her where she, like, pops into Road for just a moment, and it's before Nynaeve finds out that Elida is Amaryllyn, but Elida's dressed, like, in a red, red gown and the stole around her neck, and she's yelling about something and then disappears and... Naive is just like, oh my gosh, you know, thank the light, that's not a reality. And then it is a reality.
1: L- mm-hmm. ah, you know? Yeah, it's it's really fun. And I, I love I love having this moment where it's just like fear, Elida. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. the messiest. She is just <laughs> I, I wouldn't messiest. call her I wouldn't call her a classic narcissist mm. because I don't believe she's intelligent enough to be a really effective narcissist.
0: Ooh, that's a statement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, she's... I love it. <laughs> she, she's not really falling into the whole, like, dark triad of, like, no. that whole thing. Yeah. But again, like, it's, it's what makes her kind of fun i mean you do have characters in the series who are you know face value evil yeah 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 face value i don't know if there are any real narcissists in this book i'm trying to think maybe a Shamael.
0: i was thinking possibly grendel ravine
1: Ravine is a typical like gaslighter narcissist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Really Shammael, like maybe. Maybe. But I think mm-hmm. he he's No, I, I take that back. I wouldn't I wouldn't say a He's he's got a he's got an idea of how the world should be, but I don't think he's really trying to, you know, manipulate to get like a I don't think he has like a thing for control where it makes him feel better about himself you know yeah yeah but ravine probably the closest one out of all of them yeah because grendel like she's just living a life of luxury i don't think that she's really uh, i don't know i don't know possibly possibly
0: tiny tinge because i think yeah? mostly she's she's just like At least she wants to appear mostly pleasure-driven. And that doesn't necessarily mean
1: she's a narcissist. Right. And the fact that she kind of, like, memory wipes all of her people with... (laughs) Compulsion. Compulsion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of spoilery, but these are the Forsaken. They can do things. I don't think that's, you know, such a spoiler, but...
0: Yeah, no, that's a good... I mean, it's just an example of what they do.
1: And what they've done. I feel like if Grendel was more of a narcissist, she wouldn't really re- need to rely on that. She would be more about manipulating mm-hmm. mm. and letting people know they've been manipulated. would that would that then include landfear?
0: <sighs>
1: yeah, yeah because i'm like she's even... pro- she might be the most textbook of them all. Oh
0: no. <laughs> well, and i'm thinking about how she's even so attached to her image. In the books, she's she doesn't really completely change how she looks. She's still her kind she of like She definitely a, She puts a age filter.
1: Well, yeah, like Queen Catfish. <laughs> yeah. She definitely yeah. has this absolute drive and need for admiration yes like she's the only one that deserves special treatment Mm -hmm. she's the unique one Mm -hmm. again again i love the many different layers of characterisms between some of the forsaken
2: Mm
1: -hmm. but also just you know some of Mostly characters like Elida, where Mm -hmm. it's like, we've got our bad guys, and we know our bad guys are bad. Mm -hmm. But Elida's just, she's on a different level, I feel like. She really is. In terms of entertainment and theatrics and general messiness.
0: Yeah. Like, I think New Spring Elida and her idea of quote-unquote helping, that's Mm -hmm. that's a bit extreme. That's a bit extreme. Where she dresses even.
1: Yeah, that goes back to this chapter though, where she's like light is awful.
0: Light is awful. Questionable but tactics. But we have some
1: Yeah, we have a lot of questionable tactics this chapter.
0: <laughs> ah do you, should we get should we get to that part where like Nynaeve and Egwene encounter each other in the tower? Yeah, sure. When I was younger reading this, it was, I don't think I completely read it because I normally kind of skip past violence because it's upsetting. And then I just didn't even really attach that to Egwene the way I Well, you might have I to explain what ta- you're talking about. Okay, so there's the moment in this chapter where Egwene is trying to prove to Nynaeve how dangerous Tel Renriad is, and her way of doing this is creating a nightmare scenario for Nynaeve to be trapped in. Like, she created this. This is something from her mind, and it is not great. How did you, how did you
1: describe it? Sexual assault? She dreams up two men in Teleronrio to rip 90s clothing off and, like, lift her into the air and, like, drool and, like, lick at her face. It's, mm-hmm. it's really deranged, and, frankly, it should have been left out, in my opinion.
0: I agree with you. This is just really over the top totally unnecessary why would you do this to somebody you care about like
1: this is the narcissism episode
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh it is it's rough it is rough like i would never ever do something like that to somebody that i cared about i would never do that to somebody period but like this like There have got to be better ways to like engage someone in in a way that helps them to understand that this is not always the safest place to be. And I mean, it's Brigida, it's Egwene, it's Melaine, it's all of the wise ones that are like, this is really, really, really dangerous. And like, none of them trust her. And I mean, one of the things that's really awful about this is like Egwene is doing all of this to keep. Nynaeve from finding out the truth that she's actually not supposed to be there without a wise one
1: and that's so shitty yeah she's doing it to I want to say suppress Nynaeve you know telling Egwene's lie
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: yeah as we've seen when Brigida is like you can't say this please you know don't rat me out Mm -hmm. Nynaeve is like cool we got this Mm-hmm. Nynaeve doesn't care about lying about herself and her Forkroot incident, but she's not so much telling someone else's secrets. She's trustworthy, mm-hmm. at least, mm-hmm. in that sense.
0: But It's just like she's trying to tell Nynaeve not to do the things that she's doing. Egwene's not supposed to be wandering around and tell her on road because it's dangerous, and here she is creating this horrible encounter trying to tell Nynaeve to not do the thing that Egwene is already doing. What? It just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense.
1: And had this been a moment of, let's see here, had this been a moment where it was like a parable, you know, like don't Mm. do stuff like this. And it is... You know, later on, a plot point where, like, this comes up, and there's, you know, there's some, like, story about it where it's like, this is why you don't do those things. This is why Mm -hmm. this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Like, this is why you learn from this. Mm -hmm. I might feel slightly, like, a little bit different about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that was Robert Jordan's intention because Mm -mm. that never happens. It's almost like this moment. Is included and then we never think about it again yeah to me that's what makes it really uncomfortable because it's mm-hmm. almost like almost feels like it's saying like there's nothing wrong with this mm-hmm. you know like this is totally fine happened.
0: yeah like Nynaeve was safe the whole time because the queen had control of it and blah 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 and so no big deal no one really got hurt But I mean, good Lord, it sounds terribly traumatizing. Like the mental aspect of it and experiencing the physicalness of it. Like, you can't just take that away and be like, no big deal. I just wanted to teach you a lesson. And then everything. And I mean, it's not even that she wants to teach her a lesson. Like, by the end of it, she's like, Egwene is like, I have the upper hand. And Nynaeve is like, when did this happen? It's not even that they're like, Finding common ground, it's like a Gwaine has to feel like she's a level above Nynaeve somehow. She's and that's like another giggling thing. about it. Yes. She's so
1: pleased with herself.
0: Yes. Like when she wakes up later on in her tent and she's like getting ready to go talk to Moraine about finding out this stuff that she found out in Teleron Road where she was not supposed to be without a wise one. She, like, laughs to herself. She's like, well, if that's all it takes to keep Nynaeve in her place, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, what would have been so much better is if you just would have been like, you know what? Real deal, I'm not supposed to be here either. But our need is so dire that I'm going to trust you not to rat me out to the wise ones. And Nynaeve probably would have been like, I got you. Ta-da! And then they go hunting for stuff together, and they're on the same team and not feeling baffled and off balance.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate that Robert Jordan wrote this and that it wasn't caught in editing. Mm. It it is real unfortunate, and I think, you know, a lot has changed since this book was written in terms of what we strongly believe is, like, okay and not okay. Yes. But yeah. in this case, it, there's no, this doesn't need to be there. Mm-mm. Robert Jordan was fairly progressive, but this just, it's a swing and a miss for me. And I don't know, like, it's unfortunate that this was included.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I first read this on my, you know, first read through of the books, this was a moment that, unfortunately, in my, like, anger, mm-hmm. I couldn't point to the author and be like, you, why, why would you do this? Mm-hmm. It, it was me being like, well, I guess I know that I hate Egwene now and that she will never be a character that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And mm. like it colored everything that she did afterwards. Yeah. It also made big, big moments for Egwene that are beloved By you know many, Mm -hmm. just I didn't care. I was like, "Ooh, oh no, something this happens." Oh, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and
1: it's unfortunate because Egwene has some really like killer chapters. But Mm -hmm. after reading this, it really soured any type of moment that I spend with her, Mm -hmm. and that sucks as someone who likes reading about characters who are strong and intelligent and capable women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yes. really a disservice. It is.
0: You know, I agree with you. I, I I was totally one of those readers that just, like, bounced over it. and was like, well, that happened. Like, it wasn't, like, as I get older and become more aware... I don't know, I'm on the same page with you. And it really, like, it made it so much harder for me to read the Egwene chapters later on as well.
1: Well, this is probably the first time that you've reread the series since I pointed it out to you when we started the podcast. I remember it was on our year one Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah, that we talked about it the first time. I remember that episode. Wow. Yeah. Two years ago.
0: Isn't that wild?
1: <laughs> Two years ago. Oh, I love it. Actually, you know what? Let's move ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get past this because you sure. know what? Like it, it's here, it happens. Let's move on, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it though, because again, it, like it gets bounced over really easily, and I think it's something that is worth drawing attention to It could be better or could have been yeah. entirely left out.
1: Yeah. I think the main thing about this situation, this chapter, you know, despite the other things is learning that Swan is no longer the Amarlin. Yes. Elida's in charge. Yes. And we've got to, I want to say, <laughs> it's so hard to move on from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? What is the moral of this chapter? What is this chapter all about? Ugh. I mean, seriously,
0: how to get how to get a one up on your friend? It's not how I, I want my friendships to be. It's not how they should be. That's not how any relationship should be, really. Yeah.
1: yeah. So they they go to, they go back. You know, they both flip back to the waking world mm-hmm. and. Gwen goes back to the camp. Mm-hmm. She tries, she warms herself up, and mm-hmm. then she goes to Moraine.
0: She laughs maniacally over her moment with Nynaeve. I'm just kidding. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and she tells Moraine the news.
0: Yeah, she tries to go to Rand first, too. Like, she drops by over there, and like he's with the Gleeman and. She's like, well, I guess I'm not talking to him. And then she goes to Moraine.
1: She pulls a fast one on Moraine and was like, oh, no, no, no. It has nothing to do with the world of dreams. It's just I'm this really great dreamer now. Yeah.
0: Prophetic. To the point where where it is like sealed as fact. Fact. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And Moraine's like, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing that got me in this chapter was the, or like in this section, was Egwene like saying I think that you know Swan was your friend and you can't even spare a tear for her and Moraine is all icy coolness and is like I don't have time to cry
1: yeah this is one of my favorite quotes from Moraine where she says take what you want and pay for it mm-hmm. and yeah again it's <laughs> what's interesting is that The Blue Aja is, it's almost like intelligence, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, they're, sure, causes, whatever, but they're more, like, militaristic in terms of, like, Mm -hmm. intelligence. Mm -hmm.
0: Like CIA level?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot about Robert Jordan's time in the military and where he's been in wars, and I would have to imagine that Moraine sees this as like this is the war like this is the mm. biggest war mm. making sure that rand stays alive protected and guided mm-hmm. and make sure that you know the light prevails over the dark so it's kind of one of these similar situations where and i'm just speaking from like i don't know like movie tropes and stuff like that you have someone who's like active duty in a war zone mm-hmm and it's like you don't have time to cry over the bad things that have mm-hmm. happened. You have to keep going. Because if you don't keep going and you stop, mm-hmm. you lose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And unfortunately, you know, I love Moraine's relationship with Swan Sanche. But mm-hmm. that's the past. And she has to keep pushing herself forward. But it also speaks volumes to what she's lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In terms of friendship, mm. love, mm. due to this, you know, giant thing that's happening in the world with you know the dragon reborn in the last battle. Mm-hmm. So, because him, uh, is, like,
0: he is everything for her. Like, mm-hmm. I love how you point out that this is battle mode,
1: Moraine especially after learning about elida now like mm-hmm. i feel like this would just even drive her even further to be like can't cry gotta keep moving right like think like about Elida's in charge yes think about her relationship with elida
0: she has this very personal relationship with elida that is not good oof so many emotions and maureen is like i show nothing show nothing Do you think she still maybe cried herself to sleep a little that night? Yeah, of course. We know underneath all of that, she's still a human being.
1: Yeah, and even later on in this chapter, I think Moraine says something. It's about Rand, and she says something like, he's learned to walk, and now he's running. And his, his enemies are chasing him now, and... Like, yes. it's it's time we've got to, like, go. We can guide him, do what we want, advise him, but he needs to learn because, like, shit's getting real. Yeah. And Egwene, at this point, kind of, like, gets ready to leave, and I believe she asks Maureen, like, okay, but, like, why are you being subservient to him? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, even, even Nynaeve doesn't think it's right. And... Maureen's kind of like with this quip like hmm she'll be an Aes Sedai yet whatever she wishes Mm -hmm. and yeah that's pretty much where this chapter ends up so that does that does come full circle with this theme of Nynaeve and Aes Sedai and Mm -hmm. that whole can of worms.
0: There were like little touches in here where like and Moraine leans over and puts her hand on Egwene's arm, and she has a look of affection on her face, like those little glimpses of her humanity, I think are really good to have. And then Egwene feels
1: she's so like, like, I feel Maureen. very fine. I, f- I, feel very fondly for you, tiny tyrant, <laughs> tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because then her other thought is like maybe she's closer to being an Aes Sedai than she thought and in some ways like her willingness to do what she did to Nynaeve like kind of affirms that statement because that's just kind of how Aes Sedai to behave too like mm-hmm. not above using traumatic forms of violence and potential pain to, like, quote, unquote, help the other person realize what they need to do.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know what? We're, what we're a happy at, place. like, a pretty decent yes. chunk of time. But yeah. I was going to say, um, do you want to make an announcement here instead about, of about posting one? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I have, oh, thank you. I absolutely can. So quick announcement. I will actually be starting a master's program in about four weeks. Uh, I will be participating in the, <laughs> as I should be, I guess, in, as I'm stumbling saying this, uh, it's a master's in professional communication. And uh, I also am going to have the opportunity to teach.
1: So I will be very busy soon gonna be a teacher's assistant starting back school it's you got all kinds of things going on it's really exciting
0: I miss being in school I really do I bought (laughs) I bought a big wool coat that's brown and has a hood and I'm just like I'm channeling all of my my brown Aja vibes into this return it's funny how it like that does actually feel so right to me (laughs) But we're still gonna like we're still gonna make content. Amber for sure, I imagine is going to continue making content on YouTube.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I know you and I will discuss like a a schedule and whatnot. Yeah.
1: yeah. So this it's gonna be. This is mostly for our Patreon people too. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know that we're still gonna be recording, but scheduling things might become a little bit different, and it might become less often. And. Yeah. Tracy isn't really on Discord. She doesn't really use it. So if you have questions Sorry. for her, hit her up. Or I guess hit me up and I'll relay questions, I guess. <laughs> but mostly, you know, just thanks for supporting us and Always. Yeah, yeah. Like this
0: isn't this isn't the end of Road to Tar-Vallon or the end to us at all. It's just a it's a it's another step. Like this show, working with Amber, has been like a hu- huge inspiration. I'm a hu- it's
1: a human process. It's
0: a, it is. <laughs> and oh, it's my God. Hum- it absolutely we humans. is. We humans. Oh, it's human music. I like but it. Yeah.
1: We'll keep you updated and let mm-hmm. you know what happens in terms of scheduling. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just know that this is
0: like, this inspires me. This is one of the reasons why I've chosen this degree is like, I am inspired by what Road to Tarvalin has become. And I am an academic. She's going to
1: school to become podcasting professional. You heard it first.
0: Yeah. I actually, that is what I want to (laughs) do. That is what I want to (laughs) do on a big, big level. Mm -hmm.
1: Are you guys still putting out content for the other podcasts that you're doing? Uh, There should be a release this
0: week. um, And we're recording this evening. So...
1: Well, for any of our listeners, if that's something that you are interested in, reach out to Tracy somehow. I can, you know what, I can just
0: pop uh, the email address. For Do that in the show back. notes. Yeah, in, in the show notes. Email is probably the best way to reach me. I do actually check it every once in a while.
1: <laughs> do you?
0: <Yeah>. Do you?
1: <laughs> I, that's why <laughs> Are I you laughed. you sure about that? That's
0: why sure I laughed because I was like, it's not often. It's not often. I'm really bad. I'm really bad about stuff. I'm really bad about stuff like that.
1: Uh, well, Trying. It's good you're going to school for communication, then, because then you can work right. on your communication.
0: That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. I'm like, this is this is going to be very helpful for me. I need a uh, I need assistance.
1: <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yes, we thank appreciate you so much. we appreciate it. If you have any ideas, comments, Ooh. criticisms, anything like that, Love let it. us know, please. I believe Spotify gives you that option now.
0: It so, does. There's
1: actually a poll and you can
0: yeah. like drop little little bits of info there if you choose to.
1: Yeah, so let us know your thoughts and we will see you back. Bye.